the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Yes, it is. Welcome back. Tuesday, November 30th, 2021. If it's Tuesday, it's not Belgium. If it's Tuesday, it's time for the Hallmans. Hugh Hallman and Lewis Hallman. Lewis Hallman is the managing director of Insight Analytics, LLC. Hugh Hallman is the former mayor of Tempe, an attorney in town, an educator, and a man of many, many, many parts, both dear friends. And uh, we... um, we, we we talk COVID and politics every Tuesday uh, at this time with them. Gentlemen, where are we? Well, we are in our typical state of loss and confusion, I think. that's Panic, been... loss and confusion. No one expects the Spanish Inquisition. Yeah, yeah we always do this bit. Yeah. So uh, where we are is uh, on the 26th of November, the World Health Organization announced its newest uh, grave concern, and that was that we had a new variant of COVID coming in its view out of South Africa, that it had been reported by folks in South Africa that they'd come upon the Omicron variant. This is now the second South African variant that we have now heard of. That's right. uh, some of which come from rats, but right. okay. Uh, the, the new variant, uh, as reported by the World Health Organization from South Africa, has been recast in its reporting at the CDC site, where it stated on um, uh, the website uh, the following day, uh, late really on the 26th, that on November 26th, the World Health Organization had classified the new variant of concern first reported by the World Health Organiza- to the World Health Organization by South Africa. That is a quote off of the CDC's report. What's fascinating is the entire report on the uh, Omicron variant is all of about uh, five lines mm-hmm. on a press release, a media statement that then goes on with commercials. Mm-hmm. For the CDC, such as the CDC is continuously monitoring variants and the U.S. variant surveillance system has reliably detected new variants in this in, in this country. And another commercial about get vaccinated and we think our vaccines are doing great. And so if they're you, on the job, they're telling us. they're on the job. They know everything there is to know. And then most important, get vaccinated, get vaccinated. Please, for Pete's sake, we've told you before, get vaccinated. What is more interesting, they now, of course, in their vaccine stuff, say that and now admit that vaccines lose their potency after about five months. And so that even the president has announced in his most recent press conference that if you have been vaccinated, had your second shot, if you took a two-shotter, after or before June 1st, you must get a booster shot. And please do so immediately. Everybody can get one. Can we just call it a third shot and be done with this booster nonsense? I don't it's care. the same as the other shots. Yeah. Well, that would just be saying that the, the last, the stage, two, yeah, the last stage of a rocket is a rocket, not okay. the booster rocket. I don't know. You know, I don't I, really Well, care. I do think there's an effort here. And I think the effort is we must not denigrate the vaccines. And we need to play with language in a way that uh, we can make sure that 
uh, our our side wins, according to the left. I don't know. I'm I'm radically uninterested in what we call the the shot, mm-hmm. whether it's a booster or a third dose or a fourth dose or who whatever it is. What I really think it boils down to ultimately is how much coercion is Joe Biden and his wonderful government trying to employ to get us to take this thing. And that's what's going on. So the CDC uh, has a very short statement about the new variant, and then the rest of the uh, site is dedicated to when you've been fully vaccinated or what you need to know about COVID-19 vaccines and how well they're working. And I found most fascinating when I then clicked through the various things they're selling us, the COVID-19 vaccine effectiveness research that they cite to with the most recent uh, study that they included uh, dating back to last April. And so notwithstanding that we have six or seven months of additional research, they're still relying on the the vaccines are wonderful and just go get them kinds of studies. So that is the sort of state of affairs here. And what I guess I would say is this, that the panic and concern that was raised yet again by the World Health Organization, the CDC and the Biden administration causes me concern because it is true. We don't know a lot of information about this variant, except that the original stories coming out of South Africa with respect to the variant said things like this. They had a doctor who was one of the first to report it. Um, I, I am now quoting from a story that ultimately got carried in the uh, USA Today. The she, news- she's the equivalent of their Rachel Walensky, Rochelle Walensky, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, I believe that is correct. She, but, she's a high official at their version of the CDC. But, but again, this is USA Today, the newspaper for people who find television news too complicated. Um, <laughs> But nonetheless, <laughs> I've never heard that. Before. Well, I, I stole that from the science reporter at the Arizona Republic 30 years ago. OK, lovely fellow. Anyway, uh, uh, this is uh, I'm going to use it with the Arizona Republic. Indeed. Uh, Dr. Angelique Quetzi, yeah, uh, who is the chair of the South African Medical Association. Uh, and she discovered the new variant or was one of the first to discover. She said, quote, to, uh, to Reuters, by the way. Quote, symptoms of the Omicron variant are very mild and can be treated at home. These infections, uh, now not quoting, these infections were first reported in university students who were younger and tended to have milder disease, i.e. they're now explaining away her experience must be nonsense because, of course, it's first reported in younger people Mm -hmm. who have milder disease. And then the, they quote the WHO, that that is the World Health Organization, that said, quote, Omicron may be capable of causing severe disease or death, particularly among vulnerable populations, period, unquote. So maybe notwithstanding what the initial reports are, pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. We know better for you. Be panicked. And so going through the news reporting coming out of that in the last four days, it's the same drumbeat that uh, the world needs to be shut down, that countries are closing their doors, Europe is closing its door. Oh, but wait, there's some new slight reporting coming in, and it came out of the Wall Street Journal that said, in fact, it appears that um, Amicron COVID variant was in Europe before it was in South Africa. Oops, maybe it was the Germans and the Dutch who were closing their doors to American tourists who actually went to South Africa and contaminated the rest of us. Who knows? One can can hardly be sure in these types of things. But I, I actually have been wondering, and I think that this might be a topic to extend into the other side, depending on how long, how long it takes to unpack. But something is really not added up to me about our response to COVID ever since the beginning of this, back in March of 2020, where 
you know, we, we were all sort of freaked out initially, but then very quickly we all sort of fall rapidly in line into this new regime of follow the science. And I, I've sort of been wondering how it, why was it that it took almost no time at all for all of us to, to accept the loss of our civil liberties? And why is it that we are still here after 18 months of this, you know, in, in perpetuity, all of the, uh, the back and forth and, and all of the recrimations and, and going back the other way on things. So how did we get here? And I'm, I'm struck by the idea that, that I learned in, uh, at Tempe prep, the school that dad, you, you ran, um, He's, he's around, saying it that way because he has to remind me I've reached that age. Yeah. Well, he, he's uh, it's centered around the sort of the, the Socratic uh, method of instruction, but one of the one of the big pieces we got out of that was was Aristotle's idea of forming habits and that habits are the root of excellence. But one of the things that, that that sort of is a corollary of that is that habits tend to only take about sixty to sixty three days to form, and so I wonder. Have we all fallen into the habit of tyranny? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I want to explore that. Yeah, we'll definitely take this on the other side to the other side of the break. I didn't know you were going to go there, but it's fascinating because I was thinking as your dad, as Hugh was talking, I was thinking before you before you did that as this news from the Omicron variant was coming in, the palpable sense from Mainstream television, I watch uh, CBS Morning because I'm a masochist. Uh, I watch what CBS does in the mornings, and then I occasionally play around with some of the cable channels. The, 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 the level at which people were prepared for another shutdown, almost as if they were asking for it, almost as if we just they were the not it's expecting Pavlovian it. But, at this yeah, point. Yeah, you yeah, ring yeah. the bell, we but, expect it. But more than almost expect, kind of a little bit asking for and wanting kind of a little bit well, of don't just stand there do something work is hard yeah. working is really tough going to work is a hard thing to do on a daily basis and to lewis's point on the habit we shut our economy down and very quickly train people how to sit at home yeah the it's not working from home it's shirking from home right. and a lot of folks got used to not having to go to work yeah. And breaking that habit, it it takes an enormous amount of effort to train students to prepare for homework. On the other side, we'll talk about exactly this point. We have now trained our society to sit on their behinds and expect handouts. Oh, let's do it. Let's do it. Let's pause right there. Let's give it over to Carly Simon. We'll come back with the Hallmans and Liebson. That way we can listen to They're the Hallmans. She's Carly Simon. We'll be right back. It's a funny thing about radio. Most people are trained to learn about the breaks. What they really need training on is when the show resumes. It's the rejoin. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show, 602-508-0960. Delighted to have Hugh and Lewis Hallman with me as we do every Tuesday um, together. Uh, where were we going? Habits and Aristotle and the Nicomachean Ethics you were pointing out uh, that you learned in high school, Mike. Gosh, you learned this stuff in high school. This is why I think it's important for adults to reread the things that they read in high school. I have college. started doing I'm that. Doing this. Isn't it different? It's it's yes, but the different really thing is good. he read very much different stuff in high school yeah. than you read, Seth. Um, well, let's hold that point because, that that, point. yeah, that is an important point we will come to. Let's, let's stay with Aristotle for a moment, the first political scientist and uh, the student of Plato. He taught in the ethics that uh, virtue is formed by habit. Yes, Take it from there. 
Sure. So, so the idea that Aristotle has, well, he's got a few ideas on virtue. The first and, and most important probably is that virtue is formed is, is formed by habit. But the second piece is that virtue, in Aristotle's view, rather than Plato, is a moderating force. Aristotle looks at, at the, uh, um, oh gosh, it's been so long. It's like the, the golden mean, I think, is, is sort sure. of the idea that he has. Yeah. Where, we just call it the Aristotelian mean, right, for short. Where... Um, where virtue or where Thank where you. the best outcome is is to be found between two extremes, right. and we can think about this in our daily lives very easily, between political extremes, for instance. If you go all the way to the right, things get pretty crazy. If you go all the way to the left, things get pretty crazy. All tru- things in moderation. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Contrast this, of course, to Plato, who whose Courage idea of, of virtue. Right? Courage to cowardice to uh, right. yeah, all these things. Right. 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 Gluttony. So, no so wine to a full bottle. Yeah. The issue, though, is that if if our virtues and our comportments and our actions are determined by habits, then our recent history really matters in terms of how we comport ourselves today. And it says a lot about what we're going to do in the future. And so my concern is is that our habit now is that we listen and we wait unquestioningly for the next diktat that then is completely and utterly Baseless. We wait for it because we are prepared for the consequence, which is surrender. Right. Right. We we have become accustomed to, we have almost developed a taste for uh, this new society. And when one thinks about the years it takes, as, a, as somebody who's run schools, it takes us about three years to create in students the habit of doing their homework easily. Now, it doesn't take that long to get them to understand they have to do it. It's it's a two- or three-month process, and I would warn parents, you'll have your child crying at home because they don't want to have to do homework. They've never done it before. And then as they develop that habit, it becomes easier and easier. But the reality is, by the third year, we have students who think nothing of the fact that they've got two hours of homework they might have to do in a real way. The same is true for the taste and habit of liberty. The reason this society, in my thesis, is different from the rest around the world is because people had to come here out of seeking something new, seeking to live their own lives, seeking to be free from whatever tyranny they were subject to. And that was a group of people who were driven to great hardship to create this society. And that stock from around the world came here. And yet, in fairly short order, we have seemed to have wrung out of our society that lust for liberty, that we have become accustomed to handouts. We have come accustomed to this tyranny, to living under a society, in, and it didn't take very long, a society in which the new variant is here and everybody's preparing to shut down. Oh, good, I can now go home and not be bothered. In a conversation Lewis and I had with someone who spent 60 years in the Soviet Union, his summary of the difference between the societies was this. Making decisions on your own is really hard. And if you come from a society in which most of those decisions are taken from you without question ultimately, you don't not only know what you're missing, but changing that environment is tough. When you don't choose what college to go to, when you don't choose what you're going to study, when you don't choose the job you'll have after you have become educated. It's very, it's relieving. 
you now don't have responsibility for what your life is and has become. Right. So, so not only are you absolved of this this responsibility, Absolution. but solution. Brilliant. <laughs> but you you also then um, have a, a, as just a tremendous incentive as the as the government imposing this this world to eliminate any kind of substitution for your beneficence. So any kind of social program, any kind of welfare program, any kind of charitable contributions that we would make from ourselves to one another is verboten, is sinful, is racist, is a problem of some sort because it interferes with the direct equality that must be measured and imposed by our betters. Now, one of the interesting things here worth discussion, um, and it's provocative to me, is on this issue of wanting to be cared for, wanting to be told what to do, surrendering uh, volition and choice, it's at least according to Aristotle, not quite natural. Habit works when it comports with nature. I think he instructs at some point you can't habituate a stone to fall upwards because it conflicts with nature, something like that. Now, if you think about that, And you think about all men are created equal in the nature of human beings and freedom. You look at societies that surrender it. Things do end up crashing and burning. People end up enslaving others and themselves or at least themselves and then others. And they end up killing an awful lot of people. I think we are seeing some of that here. When we are looking at these um, what might be considered what the down, I'll I'll call it the downwash of covid mitigation strategies. It was not a good thing before covid that we had millions and millions of people not working, particularly young adult males. Something new was happening for about a decade going on here. Some work Nicholas Eberstadt was doing over at AEI on this. You heard of deaths of despair from these two scholars. Where were they? At Princeton? Something right. like that. With the, with the opioid epidemic. Right, and right, 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 right. Before and the COVID. Problem. Yep. Right. This before was all COVID. before COVID. So it's not as if we had our handle on this. We were actually going in a pretty poor direction because I would say of the progressive nature of depriving people of freedom. So yes, go ahead. Or on, on this, teaching them the habit of freedom. Well, exactly. And so doing something unnatural. What we've done to kids is unnatural. It is not then should not be surprising that we are seeing these dramatic increases in emergency room department visits by children for psychiatric issues, which have spiked up 30 and 50 percent, depending on the age range over the last year. Hold the thought. I know it's pregnant, but you can hold it. I'll try. It needs its full airing, which we will give you when we learn how to come out of a break as well as go into one. I'm Seth Liebson. <laughs> I'm having some fun with the Hallmans and Aristotle. We'll be right back. Welcome back. I'm not – what did Hugh Hewitt used to say? Uh, I'm not perfect, just the best, something like that. (laughs) Well, I'm neither, but I have the best with me in Hugh Holman and Lewis Holman. Delighted to do so. All right, Lewis, you wanted to make a point about habituations, particularly to freedom, what we learned from Aristotle and how it relates to something he writes – not just in uh, the ethics, but in his book on the politics. So, so the, go right ahead. The point that we were making in the last segment was that uh, we we have fallen into a habit of tyranny and a habit of going along with these COVID mandates uh, continually. and An unnatural habit, if I may. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. And we can't seem to break this. Yeah. Um, and 
I, I was struck by the fact that we, we really are trapped in this way because we have lost sight of what Aristotle regarded as the principal virtue, the yeah. highest virtue, which in his eyes is magnanimity, which to many people is a really strange idea. And it was to me, too, when I first learned about it, because it's a conception of virtue that requires an inherent relative material difference in the parties involved. Mm-hmm. Like, not, You don't think of many, many virtues that you have to be rich in order to indulge in, for instance, or, or to exhibit. Like honesty. Right. Okay. Yeah, everyone can be honest, right. but, but Aristotle says that only the powerful can be magnanimous. And he says that this is the most important virtue in a society. Okay. And I think the reason that that is incredibly profound is that, is that magnanimity is the, is the propensity of the powerful and the wealthy to help the less, fortune, the less fortunate of their own volition. Okay. And that as we have increased the size of the state, the, the welfare state, as LBJ smote us with the great society, that, uh, well, we have now stripped from ourselves and from our society the inclination, the desire, and the need to be magnanimous towards each other because we can rely on the government to... to fill any stopgap as it is incredibly willing and, and, and asking to do. Once the government is seizing 40 or 50 percent of one's income to redistribute, you, you kind of tend to think that your redistributive work is done. Your charity is over. I've already given half of my stuff away to help the society. What more can I do? Mm-hmm. And so there is a massive part of this this top-down urge to to seal our society to protect the elderly, then it's just, it, it is completely alien mm-hmm. in, in, in terms of its virtues. And not only does one lose magnanimity and that virtue in those who should be generous given their station in life, we also lose the opposite. We now take human beings and provide them handouts, and as a result, we destroy their incentive to do the best they can to survive as best they are capable to create their own results. We destroy those people's humanity as well. Mm-hmm. They no longer have responsibility for what they can produce to the best of their abilities, even in these stopgaps. That's the, the place where Ronald Reagan, I thought, was brilliant in this in this dis- discussion was understanding that we need a safety net for those people who uh, fall short in what they are able to do, but that we should not deny those people the opportunity to take care of themselves as best they are able because it helps human beings rise up. It, it improves every person's outlook on his own life and ability. So as an example in practical point, I ran a Habitat chapter here for about a decade. Habitat, built, for, humanity. Habitat for Humanity, building well, houses. magnanimous people. Well, not only of magnanimous people, no, the whole people, project is, I mean, but you know. understanding that a crucial piece of it was that anyone who was going to receive, and that's in quotation marks, a Habitat house, had to spend at least 500 hours building their own home. So it was not a they gift. They had an investment in it. They not only had an investment in the time and effort, but then they didn't receive a house as a gift. They bought it. So individuals, as an example, in the East Valley chapter, would spend their 500 hours as a family building their own home, learning skills they didn't otherwise have to take care of the house once they received it, and then they paid a mortgage for 20 years. Now, there was no interest. That was the habitat piece of it, that we would not charge interest, but the principal cost of the house. Now, it was always less than it would have been at fair market value, but significantly more than it costs to build. 
and that kept those human beings involved, connected to their desires, their own efforts, gave them pride in their effort, and the opposite side of the loss of magnanimity in those who should be magnanimous is that those who would have received that magnanimity have lost their own humanity by instead receiving handouts instead of hand-ups. When I was first getting hip to the school choice movement, I was uh, sitting in a meeting with um, Bill Bennett and Jack Kemp, and Bill was talking about these programs. I think they were in Ohio. I think actually Clint Bullock at the time was oper- was you know arguing for them in court. And it was very important that the parents pay a portion. And I asked, why is that so important? And Jack Kemp just looked up and he said, when's the last time you washed a rental car? We'll be right back. I'm not exactly sure where we left off. We were having a discussion on balancing magnanimity. No, balancing magnanimity uh, and the loss of magnanimity, Lewis's point, and my additive point of the loss of, as Lewis would properly correct me, dignity in human beings because we're giving them handouts instead of hand ups. And that is the direction that's coming from this Aristotelian. Uh, concept that we have l- lost our habits. Right. Lost the habits which are dictated by the natural state of man because we've lost the understanding of what humanity, humanhood, personhood means. We were talking about habitat for humanity. Right. The value of work, right. for Exactly. Example. The value of work. So Aristotle, uh, before he gets into this discussion of magnanimity, which is in... Uh, Politics, I believe. Yeah, in the politics. That's right. Um, Courage is in the ethics. Magnanimity is in the politics. He makes this point that um, man at his best is the best of all creatures. But when separated from two things, law and justice, he is the worst of all creatures. Focus on the justice part for a minute or the law part if you want. It doesn't matter. The corrupted man is the worst of all beasts is his point because of what he can do with his intellect to other human beings who may be the best. Now, this notion of not working is so unnatural to us. I don't think we even appreciate it. The first time um, I ever learned that the best welfare program was a job, that quote, was not hearing it from Ronald Reagan. I heard it from Robert Kennedy. This was, this was how Robert Kennedy used to speak um, in the 1960s, late 1960s, before he was killed. And I, I, was, I was fascinated by this because in my youthful, uh, whatever, ignorance, I was thinking Robert Kennedy was some kind of modern-day leftist or socialist. And like all Democrats of that age, he just wasn't. Um, that having been said, I started looking into this issue of welfare, this issue of work, and this issue of poverty, and we've come to an agreement in social science on left and right that is unassailable, that if you want to avoid poverty, you just have to do basically three things. Everyone agrees on that. How to get there may be a dis- different agreement. One is obviously to graduate high school. Stay in school. Right. Graduate high school, uh, don't have children before marriage, and get married. Uh, those three rules get you will keep you from being impoverished at a level over 90% then the debate takes place but do we realize how natural um industrious is industriousness is to the human condition i was thinking about a monologue i did on work the virtue of work some time ago i was reminded that you know kids naturally want to work 
in the sense that what is their favorite, one of their favorite games to play in nursery school and kindergarten? Store. Store is one of their most popular activities. What do kids, I don't know if they do this anymore. I did. What do kids want to do um, with uh, their parents when they're not in school? Things like running a lemonade stand. Right. Mimesis. Exactly. Children, children imitate. Right. You know, that, that's what we do. Exactly right. So they Im- that's exactly right. And by the way, back to Aristotle, the best way to inculcate habit? Imitation. Right. Not teaching, not talking, putting children in front of people who exhibit those virtues, right? It is by display. It is by watching and observance of people who have good habits, good virtues, that you best teach virtues. What are we doing? What are we doing to a generation that is teaching generation after generation of children to look up to a parental or family union, which may or may not be intact, but more likely than not, if on welfare involves someone who denigrates or has been taught to denigrate industriousness and work and is rewarded for not doing so. And worse, we then fill the airwaves with socialization about uh, name your reality TV show. Mm -hmm. There's not one that I know of that exhibits good behaviors and habits. Mm -hmm. It's just the opposite. Mm -hmm. And the the higher the rating is based on the more outrageous the behavior. Yeah. And that is now what we are showing as our society as virtue. Yeah. So it should not be a surprise. Even the last week we talked about the fact that what we're really missing is that uh, for more than 30 years, we have merely pointed children to denigrate this society and work over the flaws and the, the warts of this society without first explaining its virtues and the great elements that create this society. We have failed in that miserably. Uh, there are very few institutions left that teach uh, the the value of Lincoln and Jefferson. Mm-hmm. Instead, we want to point out every flaw they possibly have to the point that the city of New York, New York City, takes Jefferson's mm-hmm. visage out of the, the city hall because mm-hmm. he stands for such terrible things. Well, no, the things he stood for that we remember him for and that we honor him for were the good things. Think about the habituation through entertainment, too, though. I'm, I'm just that your point is very good, but I'm just thinking about the modern era. I'm thinking everyday lyrics in songs. Well, think about Norman Lear in Hollywood. Who is the hero and who is the anti-hero? Archie Bunker was the anti-hero, the hardworking man who busted his hump every day at work. Who is the hero? Meathead Rob Reiner, the shiftless one. Kind of an interesting thing. Why? Because the meathead had the right contemporary ideas about society and Archie Bunker was old-fashioned. I, I think actually this might be a much older problem. I'm, I'm reminded, frankly, of the, the parable about the prodigal son. Yeah, you know, where sure. we, have, we have the straight-laced guy who does what he's supposed to do. Sure. You never hear anything about it. But the guy who, who goes out and screws up is the one who gets all so, of the attention. So, so the lesson about that is what? I've always had a hard time with this. The lesson about this is about those welcoming him back. It's not about the son, right? It's about the magnanimity right. of the parent it's supposed to it's supposed to be and i think we've probably reversed that the lesson lesson is not be a prodigal son it's welcome your prodigal son because you want them to come back that's the other do i have a prodigal son (laughs) the look there oh my goodness gracious oh my gosh this is the problem of having father and son well i would say that this is the (laughs) the the lesson for every parent yeah 
uh, and we're going way off topic, but the point would be this. Every parent worries about what it is they're doing that will mess up their kids. And the right answer, ladies and gentlemen, is you can worry all you want, but the thing that will mess up your kids is something you have no idea you've done and don't expect. Mm -hmm. And so after this show, I'm going to have to sit with Lewis and say, Lewis, what is it that I did that caused you to say that? Spare the rod, spoil the child. I'll give you something a little more modern. (laughs) I'll give you something a little more modern to go out with uh, because Orwell said by 2050 we wouldn't be reading Chaucer anymore. He says that in 1984. It's from Chaucer we get the line, idle hands are the devil's workshop. Think about every word in that phrase. I thought it was the music man, but okay. We got trouble right here in River City. <laughs> this was one of my favorite hours. I mean, the, the territory we covered with the Holmans, we always, we always cover a uh, wide swath. Uh, today we, we really hit it, and I, and I loved it. If you missed any of it, you're going to want to go back and, uh, and uh, go to 960thepatriot.com where every show is available. Let me close with this thought from Theodore Roosevelt that I think is one of the best contemporary, at least more contemporary than Aristotle himself, uh, views of the magnanimous man and the ethic of work. He said, a life of ignoble ease, a life of that peace which springs merely from lack either of desire or of power to strive after great things is as little worthy of a nation as of an individual. I ask only that what every self-respecting American demands from himself and from his sons shall be demanded of the American nation as a whole. Who among you would teach your boys that ease, that peace, is to be the first consideration in their eyes, to be the ultimate goal after which they strive? We do not admire, he says, the man of timid peace. We admire the man who embodies victorious effort, the man who never wrongs his neighbor, who is prompt to help a friend, but who has those virile qualities necessary to win in the stern strife of actual life. That's a message this country totally forgot for the last 20 months. And Seth, it it confirms to me that, frankly, what we have is not a problem of morality, but rather in this country a crisis of meaning. Mm. That we don't orient ourselves to strive and seek greatness in the way that he suggests. You know, that's a fascinating thing, this this notion of a crisis of meaning. Jimmy Carter got in trouble for talking about a crisis of confidence. Confidence is not what we lack. Boy, we have a lot of confidence, right? You lack meaning, though. We lack meaning behind that confidence. And confidence without meaning? Anarchy and tyranny. I'm Seth Liebson. They're the Holmans. Until... Tomorrow, God bless you all, and class is dismissed. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.